Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are back with another episode of the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist and Host. Today we are joined by Dan Purcell. Dan and his wife Emily Purcell are the founders of Get Your Marriage On. They are on a mission to strengthen marriages by making lovemaking incredibly fun and deeply connecting. Together, they created the popular Intimately Us app that has been downloaded over 350,000 times. They host workshops, romantic retreat getaways for couples. They host the Get Your Marriage On podcast and coach couples on how to have a great sex life and deeper intimacy through their program next level. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, happy to be here. Woo! Yes. So today we want to explore couples communication around creating better intimacy, pleasure, and around issues of sexual function. Excellent. Great. Now, communication is a big buzzword. It's one of the Mm -hmm. words that gets thrown around, certainly in the therapy world, as is intimacy. Now, I find intimacy to be a very confusing word because I think it encompasses a number of different components of a relationship. So primarily, people refer to both emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy. So to get us started, how do you define or explain what is emotional intimacy? Real quick, I agree with you. A lot of times people say intimacy as a euphemism for sex. Like, we were intimate last night. What they really mean is we had sex last night. But you can have sex that's intimate, and you can have sex that's not intimate. So just because you had sex doesn't mean you experience something intimate or close. There's a lot of definitions of intimacy, um, but one of the ones I like is it's about a willingness to really know another person deeply and at the same time a willingness to let the other person know you at a deep and fundamental level. I think those all tie into like intimacy. Yes. So, so I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you know, letting somebody in, letting somebody know you, you know, in various different you know levels, both emotionally. Yeah. How does emotional intimacy impact sexual intimacy? I think we can't like compartmentalize. Like I've somewhat heard someone like there's six types of intimacy, financial intimacy, and you kind of create these different like charts or whatever. I, I don't see it that way. I think intimacy is all intimacy. Emotional intimacy and physical intimacy are are very closely related because letting someone into your heart, let's talk about emotional intimacy. Like I would think when they say that, they're talking about just letting someone into my heart. Can you know me? Do you value me? Do I matter to you? And then, you know, you matter to me. I want to know you. I'm really, really interested in what you think about this matter. Those are all intimate things that are very emotional in nature. And having a good, you know, intimate relationship where you're emotionally close in that way leads to a great physical intimate relationship also. And I've also seen uh, it flow the other direction too, where a couple struggles with emotional intimacy. You help fix the sexual relationship. They're being a lot more physically intimate. And then the emotional intimacy then is corrected afterwards too. So I think it's not so much chicken and egg or one comes first than the other. It's I think they're really all tied down to this willingness to, can I 
do I really want to know this person physically, emotionally, spiritually, like th- thoroughly, and then let them know me th- with the same regard? Okay, it's an interesting perspective that, that you're saying intimacy is really one you know thing that has a bunch of different manifestations and a bunch of different areas, but addressing one oftentimes will have a positive impact on the other because intimacy, when it's you know activated or when it's being worked on at its core is going to have like tentacles into other areas of people's lives. Yes, I like the way you said it. Yeah. So Dan, can you give us like a, a sense? I know that you you know have worked with a lot of couples and you know, certainly around intimacy, but also around sex. In your experience, like wh- why do you think it is that communication about sex is so difficult? Great question. First of all, people say, we just don't communicate about sex or we have communication problems. And I think what they're really saying is they're not sharing with me what I want them to share, which in and of itself is actually a form of communication. It's a, it's saying, don't ask me, <laughs> right? That's communicating that I don't want you to ask me. So couples come to me sometimes saying, oh, we just don't communicate. They're communicating really loud and clear that they don't want to talk about <laughs> the topic. So you're always communicating. That's the principle. Whether you're verbalizing something or not, you're always communicating something in one direction or the other to one effect or another. But yeah, when it comes down to, let's say, talking about sex as a couple, it's really, it's awkward for a lot of people. They're not used to it. It wasn't modeled for them in their home they grew up in. It's a taboo topic. Like just a little aside, I read some research recently that for example, premature ejaculation might have a genetic factor. So because they found that like brothers both experience premature ejaculation problems or a father son experiences premature ejaculation. But it's hard to study because, you know, you don't go up to your dad and say, "Dad, do you struggle with premature ejaculation too?" Like you don't talk about those things the same way you talk about you know, tell about our family history with heart disease or, you know, colorectal cancer, whatever risks that we might have in our family. You don't talk about sex. It's like a taboo topic. We just don't talk about those kinds of things because sex isn't talked about, you know, in families, in your family growing up you're naturally going to find a lot of resistance and barriers to talking about it openly in your own marriage. Okay, so you think it's, it's, it's much more of a like societal, familial, cultural, multi-generational, all those factors that, that just make it a bit of a taboo topic that it's never, it hasn't really been modeled for us as people. We don't really talk about this. So then when we get into a relationship, it's just not a natural conversation for us to engage in. Yeah, that's a component of it. Yeah. The other thing is you can talk to your spouse, let's say about finances or about about parenting together or about in-laws. But at the moment you talk about sex, sex kind of takes on, I don't know, uh, something poetic for lack of a better word, because we feel arousal, we feel interest when it comes to talking about sex. So there's something about sex that makes it different from other regular conversations we have. And so when you're in an add on top of that, a lot of us have a lot, we're kind of self-conscious about our sexual desires. We're self-conscious about our sexual performance. And those things also add on to just difficulty in talking openly to our spouse or your partner about your, your sexual desires. So Dan, how do couples overcome that awkwardness like of talking about sex? What are like some of the things that they do or that you talk with couples about to help them like be able to communicate about sex? That's a great question. And I think it's a trick question because we want it not to feel awkward. If it wasn't awkward, then we'd be talking more, right? So take away the awkwardness. But 
I think the awkwardness will always be there to some degree. You just learn how to tolerate the awkwardness better. Instead of taking away the burden, you're strengthening your back so you can handle the burden better. Practically speaking, though, what does that like? What does that look like? You know, what what would be like an approach or a technique or like what's an example of somebody who has um, that you've worked with or you've been able to like coach through that like was able to either increase their tolerance for the awkwardness or decrease that sense of awkwardness so that it wasn't like a defining feature of the communication. Okay. Let's say a couple's preparing a romantic getaway. They're going to get away for the weekend, just the two of them. And one of them has a desire to try something new while they're away together, whether it's, I don't know, a sex toy or something. Let's just go with a sex toy. And they don't have a lot of experience with this. So it's going to be an awkward conversation to bring up wanting to try something new with their spouse. So it's practically speaking, it's a willingness to go, hey, this is really awkward, but I know you love me and I love you. So let me just put it out there anyway. But I was thinking we could try using a new sex toy while we're away together this weekend. Do you see how you, you acknowledge the awkwardness? It's still there. But you're going to courageously push through it. You're going to stick. It's like stepping outside your comfort zone to have that conversation. That. You know, definitely makes sense. I mean, I appreciate you saying that, like, to an extent, the awkwardness is going to be there because I think too many couples and too many people wait for the awkwardness to, like, self-resolve. And like, hey, when it feels comfortable, I'll do it. Like, ultimately, that's the end goal. We want it to be comfortable. But sometimes if you don't push through that awkwardness and just kind of embrace and lean into it, it just doesn't happen. Right, right. Or I've heard couples say, I haven't brought it up yet because we're not at a good place in our relationship. And then things improve and things are good. I haven't brought it up yet because things are good and I don't want to rock the boat. So (laughs) either way, they don't bring it up. But what, what they're really trying to do is avoid the awkwardness of the conversation. They wish the awkwardness wasn't there. Now, the more practice you have with it, the more experience you have, and the better as a couple you become at, you know, creating emotional safety in that relationship so you can have conversations that are difficult to have, then that awkwardness has less and less effect on your, uh, less impact on your um, conversation. I remember my wife and I have been married 13 years when uh, we had the most uh, intimate conversation about our sex life to that point in our marriage. And we were up to like 2 a.m. having this conversation. And it was so awkward because we, at that point in our relationship, we didn't talk about it. And for the first time, we were really like talking about it. And, and it was a very scary experience, very new experience. But after we were done, we're like, holy cow, if we could talk about that and survive and actually come out great, you know, in the end, we could talk about anything. <laughs> Nothing's off limits now for us. And it just yeah. really turned into a positive experience that we could really build on in our relationship. Yeah, I do think that, that that is most people's experiences once they get over that initial hurdle. A lot of times they look back and they're like, wow, we really made a mountain out of a molehill. Like this was not like as difficult. It was hard. But like now that we're over this, like we could have done this before. Like we could have had yes. these conversations earlier. But it is, I think, a lot of times about pushing through that awkwardness. Yes. Now, yes. So Dan, I want to kind of like shift a little bit towards, you know, talking about couples intimacy and, you know, get your your opinion about this. So sex is a very it's a very complex human experience. It has both like relational and recreational components to it. Obviously, there's a procreational element to it as well for heterosexual couples. Uh, but for the most part, you know, most sexual encounters break down into either like it has relational and recreational components. So one way to look at this is individual needs and relationship needs in that sexual realm. Now, 
in a long-term relationship. I'm wondering, like, from your perspective, is there a specific aim for sexual intimacy? Meaning, is this about two people who are trying to get their individual needs met and they do that by intimately sharing what those needs are? Or is it about two people trying to just generally intimately connect like on an emotional level, and then they bond further through that physical act of sex. So if I understand your question, it's, is sex with, you know, in the context of long-term, you know, committed relationships, is it really about meeting individual needs or is it really about strengthening the bond in the relationship? Is that the question? In, in other words, like what, like a couple comes into you and they say, you know, we feel uh, disconnected. We feel like we uh -huh. just lack intimacy and it's physical. Uh -huh. and like we, we just don't know how to connect in that realm. I'm wondering, like, do you look at this from the perspective of, well, you know, here's two individuals who have really kind of isolated their own worlds from each other. Like they mm -hmm. may have their own sexual you know, thoughts and feelings and whatnot, but they just don't know how to share and it's about getting two individuals to bring those individual parts together. Or we're saying, no, there's like a connection issue. It's not about like that individual self-disclosure, that individual vulnerability. This is more about like, like helping them to connect maybe much more on an emotional level. And like the act of partnered sexual activity is about bonding them further together. Gotcha. Yeah. I would say it's, it's a hybrid of both, but let me explain. I do believe very strongly that we need to, because it's like, does sex belong in the realm of, is it relationship first benefiting of individuals or is it individuals first that benefit the relationship? That's like the way you're asking what, what, it, right? what, what is the intimacy that we're like, like when we're talking about creating intimacy, uh -huh. is it like that individual disclosure component and having a partner respond to that? Is it, like much more about like feeling a sense of connection with a person and having that expressed physically. Like, what does this even mean when we talk about like intimacy and bonding in a sexual realm? At a high level, I believe, let's say on a biological level, there is some sort of a bonding that happens sexually. Like certain hormones are released that trigger more bonding. Oxytocin, for example, is one of them. And there is, there is that component that we can't deny that really does, in good sexual experiences, strengthen the bond in the relationship. There's also a big component of the relationship, too, with, with regard to sexuality of kind of learning how to take care of your own needs and not depending on your partner to take care of everything. When you're dependent on your spouse, psych, I'm, I'm talking about psychological dependency now. Like you treat your, uh, let's say your wife, you treat your your husband as a father figure or a man, he treats his wife like a mother figure to them. It kind of creates a psychological dependency on the other. I think good sex, let's, let me say it this way. When you're dependent on another person, it's antithetical to good sex because you really can't be free. It's not erotic to be free with someone that you're also dependent on. Like, I think we're biologically programmed to not find our children sexually enticing or our parents sexually enticing, right? Like those that we kind of depend on. When we do that into our marriages, it does kind of interfere with the ability to have really good, deep sexual relationships. So the more individuals can learn how to, quote unquote, stand on their own two feet psychologically and kind of be independent, where you don't need to prop up each other person's ego 
especially sexually, I see a lot of couples where, for example, a wife doesn't have orgasms very frequently and the husband wants his wife to have more orgasms more frequently, but part of it's an ego trip for him. He wants to feel like he's a good enough lover, that he's good at his technique and that he can bring her to orgasm. When the reality is, it's really her task to learn how to reach orgasm herself. Um, of course, he can like set the environment and, you know, so quote unquote, prepare the soil so the seed will grow. There's a lot he can do, but ultimately it's really up to her to, to like cross that threshold. But when he takes too much upon him, he's, now it becomes a dependency relationship. He's depending on her to do something for him to, you know, be more fulfilled psychologically in that experience. And that dynamic, you know, when it goes on, now she's thinking, I got to perform for him so he would feel better. And it really muddies the thing. It creates a cycle where it actually adds more pressure and makes it even more difficult for her to orgasm. And he's more frustrated with the sexual relationship. So a lot of what I do in coaching is helping couples kind of see this pattern where they're kind of psychologically dependent on each other you kind of break that cycle and kind of come to sex with like i'm here to kind of meet my own needs so to speak but really to enjoy something fulfilling together but we got to treat each other as equals and not this dependency relationship to so, begin so dan with. in this in this example then would you be looking like towards like let's say in her direction that like ultimately she's responsible to come forward with like what works for her yeah like, and to be able to like hopefully communicate about that and be able to share that like you know i need things to be you know relaxed and calm in the house a couple hours earlier or whatever <laughs> whatever her specifics may be yeah like, and then like with technique about where to touch how to touch what kind of stimulation she likes saying it's it, it, there is that real individual component now is the intimacy formed by sharing that information in other words by being able to come forward and like vulnerably share that is that part of what creates that intimate bond i believe anytime you're sharing with something that's kind of personal you're inviting them into your heart i believe that's an intimate act so in this case it's the wife saying look this is how I want you to touch me. Or this is things that if you could help me with, it would increase my ability to have an orgasm and enjoy our sexual experiences together. All those are acts of intimacy because she's letting herself be known. It's about revealing your mind. So Dan, one of the things I really appreciate about what you're sharing about is that so often I think with you know the men that listen to this podcast, the men that I see here in my in my practice are very much focused on their partner's experience and a lot of times have lost a lot of orientation toward what they enjoy, what works for them, their own pleasure, which really are like critical components for healthy erections sure if you're if you're young in many instances you can you know your bio your biologics will allow you to not necessarily focus on yourself and be in touch with those pieces and you're still going to have pretty robust erections but as men age having that sense of what it is that they enjoy about that process is so important and getting people to kind of pull back focus less on the partner less on their performance and get in touch with that pleasure is so critical. Um, so I really, really kind of appreciate that perspective. It's definitely something that I incorporate as well. I think it's important for the listeners to hear about that. So on the topic of erectile dysfunction, so when ED occurs in a relationship or other sexual issues, sexual dysfunctions come up, it can, can lead to an avoidance of sexual intimacy. And certainly that that oftentimes is the choice over having to communicate 
about these challenges, which can be embarrassing and shameful. Can you speak a little bit toward the challenges of overcoming shame and embarrassment and like how important it is for a person who is experiencing a change in their sexual function or a challenge with sexual function to be able to communicate that with their partner? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, when you start evaluating or feel like your sexual performance is being evaluated, whether it's your spouse evaluating you or yourself evaluating yourself, and you now have a new standard to reach, of course, your body is not going to want to cooperate all the time. It's going to cause some erectile dysfunction. And then the next time you're going to remember, wait, things didn't happen like I expected last time. And you start freaking out that it might happen again. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So yeah, sometimes a lot of that psychological erectile dysfunction perpetuates itself. And then you avoid intimacy altogether, like what you said, because you don't want to risk embarrassing yourself. I think the step forward in that situation is to drop your expectations to drop the performance. There's a man I was coaching where is similar situation that I just told you before, where his wife wasn't experiencing an orgasm as often, but he made it mean about something about his performance as a lover. He made it mean that he wasn't a good enough lover. So he translated her lack of orgasm to his performance. To his performance, failure, right. And he'd look at it like a batting average. He'd have a calendar on his wall and he'd like mark like how often they had sex and when they had sex, whether or not she had an orgasm or not. And he did and because he always, almost always did. And uh, he's like, my batting average is really bad. (laughs) I got to improve this. And the more he made it a project, the worse his body started performing. And because he made the whole situation about sex with his wife, make it all about that he's a bad lover. And when you go into a sexual encounter, of course, you're not going to want to face that. So avoiding intimate experiences was far easier than dealing with that fact. That definitely is a is a common thing. So so when you're working with a person like that, like a side, mm-hmm. like I, I know there's a very individual component, which I appreciate, which is really getting people to focus on themselves yes. and to turn that down. When it comes to the communication side, let's say, for instance, a man starts to notice that he's got, you know, d- decreased rigid, rigidity with erections. And it really turns out to be something which is a lot more medical. Right? Okay. And, Right. And it's just a reality that the couple's going to have to adjust to or or acclimate to some form of medical intervention or treatment. Mm-hmm. And instead of communicating with the partner, he's just and not in the mood, stressed with work. He's got 101 excuses. Yes. Like, uh-huh. How do you like? How do you how do you coach a man through like you know really kind of being able to communicate with a partner about what's going on, about having to change their sexual scripts, or like how do you get them to talk about this? So how to do it is to drop the expectation of performance. Like my penis has to be this certain way. I think a lot of our sexual like. I got this idea from Dr. Ian Kerner. He wrote the book, She Comes First. But he says, we have this intercourse discourse that kind of runs our narratives when it comes to sex, that it has to be intercourse. But once you realize that there's so many ways you can enjoy a sexual relationship, like it doesn't have to be about your penis's performance. You still have fingers, you have a mouth. There's vibrators. There's all sorts of ways you can enjoy different stimulation and touch that can be very intimate and meaningful and bonding. That if you rely solely on you know, your penis being very firm in one particular way and it's not, then of course you're going to run into issues. So 
Part of it is redefining sex as no longer just being about intercourse that relies on your penis performing in a certain way. Another is if you can just have a sense of humor, like it's just not working. Well, what are we going to do instead? <laughs> like if the couple's committed to coming to the sexual experience where regardless of what happens, whether it's premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, or whatever it is, regardless of what's going to happen, we're here committed to really have an enjoyable experience together and not have the penis's performance dictate our ability to enjoy each other tonight. And that could yeah. be, you just open the door for a lot of flexibility as a couple. The reality is your penis isn't going to perform all the time. You're going to have some medical problems. You're going to get older. Like, so, oh, that's, that's the third idea too, is as I work with couples as they age, I've learned from them how much more cycle sex becomes more psychological than physical for them. And our brain is our biggest sex organ or our mind is. So as you can incorporate your mind more in psychological arousal, whether that's like dirty talk, for example, or, or, or just engaging your mind in conversation around sex in the act of sex, uh, I've seen how that really elevates sex to a whole new level. It takes a little more work because you, you're used to relying on your body to create that for you. Now you rely more on your mind to do it. But the sky's the limit when you can really incorporate your mind in the sexual Okay. Thing. So to to that end, you know, in in my experience, um, some men who are going through sexual function challenges are experiencing that because they're not willing to share their sexual preferences with a partner. You know, there's a whole world of you know fantasy and fetish that people are you know intrigued by, interested in, and for some people, it really becomes a necessity to like be able to express you know their sexuality and to have robust sexual function. Obviously, there's a fear of rejection, judgment, fear that it will destabilize a relationship. So if a, let's say in this instance, if a guy comes to you and he knows this about himself and he already has that awareness but says, I just can't imagine, you know, sharing this with my partner. What, how do you approach that? Yeah, this just happened to me the other day. Part of it is you, you have two choices here. You can stay in the status quo, and it really is a fear-driven decision, right? I don't want to open up. I don't want to share because of the fear of what might happen from this. Or you choose to step into it, and you do share. Of course, there's discernment involved. You don't want to like totally like intact is important. Like all of these things are really important, right? But there's it's an intimate act to take off the mask and say this is something I'm really interested in and doing with you. And this is why it's important. And if you're the receiving spouse, hearing that from your from your husband or your wife, it's it's also an intimate act to listen and to receive it without judgment. You can frame conversations like, hey, I want to tell you about some of my sexual desires, fantasies, fetishes, and I want to know if you want to hear them. And if I do share them, if you're willing to just listen, and it doesn't mean we have to act on all of them right away or anything, but I want to share them with you because I'm married to you. Of, you're, of all the people on the planet, you're the person that I think of all the people I should be willing to share this with. And for some people, that's easy to do. For others, it's hard because in their relationship, they have this pattern of a critical spouse or they might express an opinion and the other person will automatically shoot that down. So you need to go into it knowing that this might get shot down. If that's hard, you can type it up and email it. 
<laughs> or some other way. Right. So Dan, to, you know, just kind of piggyback on this. Is there anything in your opinion or your experience, and I know this is going to vary from couple to couple, but is there anything that should not be shared in the context of a long-term relationship? I mean, what comes to mind for me is past experiences or other attractions. You know, these could be very challenging subjects for a person to disclose and certainly for a partner to receive. I'm wondering if in your experience, you've seen certain topics that seem to really be like murky waters that like as intimate as it is, if this is not immediately pertinent or relevant to the couple sexual relationship, maybe at best <laughs> certain things stay, you know, within the core of that person and not necessarily be disclosed. If you asked me a year ago, I'd say, no, you should share everything with your spouse. And if you're holding back, it, you're not being intimate. That's what I would have said automatically. But in the last year, I've, I've really uh, think differently about it. Part of, partially is influenced by reading Esther Perel's book, Mating in Captivity. And she has a pretty good argument in her book. She talks about secrets and how couples should keep secrets. And she gives a few really good examples. There is some value to having an air of mystery about your spouse. And she argues that when you when your spouse doesn't have anything interesting anymore, you'll lose interest in that relationship. But I, I don't advocate making this like a manipulation tactic. Like I'm going to purposely withhold things as a way of getting you to pursue me so that you'll you know, like kind of a dangling a carrot that they'll never get. I, I don't think that's healthy in a relationship when you use it in that sense. But in the sense that let's say you did a really good deed today, you don't have to tell anyone about it. I'm keeping this to myself. And my spouse might find out about it sometime, but they don't have to know. There's also things that like the deep, dark secrets that might, you know, impact the relationship too. I would say if those are things that if they were just, if your spouse were to find out later and you weren't completely honest or truthful to them, that could affect the foundation of trust in your relationship. If it's not something on those lines, but just something you just really don't want to share about, you can think about it this way. You know a good tree by its fruits. A good tree will bring forth good fruit. A bad tree has bad fruit. So if I share this, what's the fruit of it? Is it badness in our relationship? Is it something that will sour, then uh, it's probably best not sharing those things. Okay, that's, that's really, really, really helpful because I know that a lot of times when people hear intimacy and I know that a lot of again, therapists, coaches and whatnot will push for like full-blown, like share everything. Like that's, you know, that, that the more intimacy, the better. Um, I think that there's a lot of nuance, a lot of complexity to this. And I think that, again, I understand that there's a, like when things pertain to, let's say, a sexual need, and like sex is not happening because of that, it's a much more complex situation where in all likelihood those pieces will have to be shared one way or another. But sometimes there's just parts of us that it's okay if we're holding on to them. We don't necessarily have to put them all out on the table and leave nothing to <laughs> to be like mysterious and nothing, you know, nothing that's held on the personal level. So I, I appreciate the nuance that you bring to that. Um, and I also appreciate just like you kind of sharing that like your thinking evolves over time oh, yeah. with your learning and the people that you work with. Uh, because I know that's definitely been my experience as well. I can really can appreciate that. Um, if I can add to that, yeah. um, intimacy isn't for wimps. It's, and I'm going to say it this way. Intimacy is more something you tolerate, right? You're, you're, because it's exposing. It's you're, horrible. 
Yes, your tolerance for exposure increases the more you mature. So you may not be very mature. I'm talking about psychological maturity here. So intimacy is going to be hard. Intimacy meaning exposing, sharing. So there might be things that you can't share now, don't share now, because frankly, you or your spouse isn't mature enough to handle it. And then you're going to become more mature one day, hopefully. <laughs> and then your tolerance for that exposure increases and you're, you, then you can handle I think of that movie as it a few good men with the lawyer scene. I think Tom Cruise is in it. He's like, we just want the truth. And the other guy's like, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> I think intimacy in some ways is like, well, can you handle what I'm about to say or disclose or whatever? Mm -hmm. You can't handle the truth. I can't share it with you. So we as individuals need to learn how we can handle. A related story, um, good friends of mine in the past really struggled with discordant pornography use. One was using pornography in the relationship and the other person felt really strongly against it. It was hard hurting their marriage, but it was uh, really heartbreaking to, the, to both spouses really. But um, what it came down to is the person using the pornography couldn't share it, couldn't talk about their struggles, couldn't open up to the other to the other spouse, the offended spouse, the quote unquote betrayed spouse, because she couldn't tolerate it. She didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to handle him. And it was his problem and he needs to just deal with it. But that was feeding the problem. But once she finally grew up about it and she looked at him like, here's a man that's really struggling. And here I am just judging and criticizing him. Why not just let him be him. And when she finally like could let down her guard enough to receive and listen, then it started to really disentangle all the stuff that had piled up over the years and all those layers and really helped the couple move forward together around this issue. That is that is really, really powerful. I really like the way that you kind of describe this and think about this. I think our listeners could could benefit from learning more about this. So could you just share a little bit about the app that uh, you developed? My background is in computer science. I'm a software developer by training. And when my wife and I, and when our marriage started to really take off, I wanted to share what we were learning with other people. So I created an app called Intimately Us. And to our pleasant surprise, it really took off. So the app has a lot of bedroom games, conversation starters, a lot of activities for spouses to, to share and discover and explore their sexuality together. But it's private and it's secure and Frankly, it's not raunchy. And I, I think there's there's a group, there's a demographic that really appreciates something that's really straightforward, no nonsense. And it really supports the idea of you know, strengthening, sex is for strengthening that relationship in that context. And a companion app to that is called Just Between Us. And it's a chat app for couples that like to uh, text or sext each other. But if you're like me and have kids that sometimes get on my phone, there are certain conversations I don't want them seeing. So it's a it's a password protected and it, we use end-to-end -end encryption. So everything is so totally secure app. And the advantage of that app too is it only lets you connect with one person, one other person. So there's abs if I use this app, there's no mistake that what I'm going to write might accidentally go to someone unintended. I assume that people's data is not being sold. 
Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> that would be horrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, okay. no. Um, yeah, no. both those apps sound really, really cool. And I, I, I think that there definitely is a demographic that would appreciate that. There are like, a number of apps you know, that have, again, different angles and different degrees, but a lot of them are pretty explicit. And I, I have heard back from people that I work, like, I see in my practice, I work with that like, it does, it's like a very difficult starting point. Like if you're not having conversations to have like pretty explicit and like sometimes what I think people consider aggressive cues and, and conversations being facilitated um, that does kind of turn some people off. So there's no doubt, I mean, obviously your 350,000 downloads you know, speaks to mm-hmm. just how much of a need there is out there. So, you know, for any of our listeners who you know want to learn more about that app, I'm sure they can find it on any of the uh, major yep. platforms. Yep. Google Play, uh, Apple App Store. Just search for Intimately Us. Excellent. Okay, Dan, thank you so much for being with us. This has been a really, really powerful uh, conversation, enlightening for me, and certainly I think is going to help many of our listeners. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.